My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today are writers Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. That, you know, the people listening are going to freak out in just a second when I read what you wrote. Ready? Scott Beck and Brian Woods are writers best known for the feature film A Quiet Place. Yeah, those writers, which they co-wrote with John Krasinski. Their next movie, Haunt, will be in theaters and on demand September 13th. Right? That's right. Yes. Friday the 13th. Around, oh, sweet. Yep. Around the corner. In 2018, Beck and Woods were, na- were named to the, top, the, I'm sorry, to the 10 screenwriters to watch list by Variety. And for A Quiet Place, they were nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the 2019 Critics' Choice Awards and the Writers Guild of America Awards and so many other things. And just basically like on, on top of everybody's favorite list, you know, everyone was talking about it. 20th Century Fox snatched up Beck and Woods' horror pitch, The Boogeyman, based on Stephen King's iconic short story of the same name. That made me really excited because <laughs> I loved that short story it's when I was amazing. a kid. Yeah. That's cool to hear. I loved it, and it, and it freaked me out, and to this day freaks me out. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, and every time I was like, you know, telling my kids a story when I was young, I mean, when they were young, I was so tempted to tell them about The Boogeyman. <laughs> and then I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That is a miserable, horrible thing to do to them. Um, they're currently uh, also writing the screenplay for themselves to direct and will also serve as executive producers on the film. They are also writing this... Um, uh, well, I lost the, the, the title on this one. You're writing another sci-fi drama. Sovereign. 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 Yep. Okay. Here I am. I'm actually putting it back in the bio as we speak. <laughs> okay. And that is going to be directed by Mark Munden and produced by 21 Laps, E1, and Focus Features. Mm-hmm. So you guys are hugely busy. And but I think we should probably can I can I can I go back in time to how you met and all of that course, jazz? Absolutely. Are you tired of talking about that? <laughs> no, I mean our our friendship um, goes back years, decades actually at this point. So we've known each other since we were eleven years old. Um, we grew up in the the small town Bettendorf, Iowa, and we dis- we were sitting at the same lunch table, and a mutual friend uh, introduced us to each other, and we discovered we were like the only kids in middle school that were making stop motion movies with our Star Wars action figures, <laughs> and we were like, oh, what if we pulled our action figure collection together? And we we just started this this friendship and collaboration at that point where we were making short films in middle school progressed to um, making feature length films for no money whatsoever in high school but like doing the the full industry filmmaking process meaning we would hire local actors we would shoot on location we would premiere these films at the local IMAX theater hand out test screening scorecards we could find out where we failed miserably with our filmmaking you actually sent we did oh my god we did because we were always really like we took it very seriously probably too seriously and we always wanted to challenge ourselves like we were never 
and to this day, never happy with any of the work that we do, which can be depressing, but that's okay because we love the work. We love to do the work, but we're always trying to get feedback and figure out how to do a better job. So absolutely in high school, like Mm -hmm. putting it in front of putting movies in front of an audience or even putting our scripts in front of readers and, and having people react was a huge part of our process. So how did you get here or how did you Mm -hmm. get a script here? Um, super long road. I, I guess we'll just go into the minutiae of what it was and stop us when it gets too long-winded. Um, so in, in college, we actually got a development deal with MTV Films, and that started turning the tide. And, and the quick backstory of that, it was a competition that MTV held. You submitted a, a film that you may have made, and the prize was a development deal with MTV Films. And we were, we were lucky enough to have won that. And in the wake of that, um, we, we started meeting with different agencies and, and submitting scripts and just writing and writing and writing. And uh, we, I remember there was this one week that we had where um, we were able, on the heels of that MTV development deal, to meet with like ICM and Gersh and CAA. And we took these meetings with these agents who, at the time, had not read our actual screenplay samples, but they were just going off the, off, um, the on buzz paper, the, the buzz. Wind. And uh, the meetings were fantastic. It's like what you kind of dream of as an aspiring filmmaker. Where you're like, you're hearing, oh, you guys are going to make it. Like, it's going to happen so quickly for you. It's going to be so easy. And we drank that Kool-Aid. Um, a week later, though, we get the phone calls that all of the agencies read our samples. They passed on us. Mm. And that same week, we had scripts that, were, um, that we entered into the Sundance Lab, the Nichols Fellowship. And we found out we got rejected from those, too. And then the icing on the cake was we get this email from a producer that we really admired. And and um, his email started off with, like, guys, I couldn't even, like, read 20 pages of the script. It's just like, I can't get into it. Like, this, you know, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. And so it was just as, like, an entire week of just total, utter rejection, which was beautiful because after moping about it for 24 hours we basically picked ourselves back up and we're like all right now what like what do we do Mm -hmm. and so we decided we needed to pool all of our resources and create a short film that was gonna just the hope was that it was gonna turn heads we were gonna put everything into it we were gonna prove um that we were actually capable of this even though it felt like nobody believed we were and that short film eventually led to us getting signed by a manager. Yeah. And so it was, it was kind of a turning point for and us I, because I, it led to our professional career. I would add in the background um, that MTV development deal was lurking there, but it was like tied up in business affairs because nobody at MTV took two you know, student filmmakers from Iowa seriously. And that, that development deal extended to the point where MTV Films actually fell apart as an entity. Um, and there was nobody working there anymore. So you killed MTV Films. We Is that did. what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Single-handed. Right. Well done. And well done. We, um, we got to the point where we had made the short film. We finally had gotten signed by a manager. But um, the MTV Films thing, they basically were saying, like, we're going to pay you out this, like, paltry amount. It was, like, literally just, like, a couple grand that they were going to, to pay out the deal. And we're like, no, we'd rather take that couple grand and throw that into a production under some sort of MTV shingle. Like, just give us a shot. 
And we fought really hard to um, get looped in with um, this producer, David Gale, who used to head up MTV Films and then at this point was heading up a new media division at MTV. And he, he was responsible for helping the careers of like Alexander Payne when they brought election to MTV Films, um, Craig Brewer when they acquired Hustle and Flow, and then Napoleon Dynamite filmmakers, and really jump-starting these careers. So we were hoping we could align ourselves with him. And he was very gracious to just let us come into his office. We pitched him a few ideas of things that we could film for, you know, just a few grand for essentially what the deal was worth and he was like if you guys want to go back to Iowa and shoot this we'll we'll green light it and we'll you know shepherd it here at MTV and we were able to go back to Iowa we shot that it was another directing sample that then opened up a door for us to to get our first um, indie film on what I would consider a substantial budget meaning like a couple million get that greenlit as writers and directors what was so. your what was your take on this short film that made it different from other things that you'd worked on um, I think it was just it, it was we put everything into it. It felt high end. Like what we talked about um, wanting to avoid with a short film was we didn't want to do two people in a room talking. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted it to feel big in scope. It, it actually has a lot of kind of early parallels to a quiet place because the film is ostensibly a silent film. It's like 20 minutes long. There's hardly any dialogue in it. It's kind of got a post apocalyptic vibe. Um, And so I think the scope and tone of it just felt big. Um, you know that's not to say that it's not without flaws i mean we're really proud of it but it it, it was it, it was a a precursor to i think what we felt like we were capable of and and people could see that and the mtv pilot was as well so in the wake of making that mtv pilot we had written the script nightlight and by the way throughout all of this this is many years that we're kind of condensing into one story and sure. we're all the, throughout that entire process we're writing scripts writing scripts writing scripts we probably wrote at least 30 scripts before we ever sold one professionally wow wow you must like each other a lot <laughs> <laughs> well you know and and just we've been doing it for a while because yeah. we, we, we were doing it ever since we were kids but it's fun for us you know like we we just enjoy the process so anyways we got nightlight set up and and that became kind of our first future uh indie feature that we got made mm-hmm. wow okay so so i mean look if if people can't hear the lesson that they should be learning right now you know the whole try try and mm-hmm. again kind of thing then stop listening because that's really what this is about yeah um so as far as a quiet place itself Mm -hmm. um how did that get in the hands of the right people right so um that was originally born out of very humble aspirations um we were working screenwriters at the point where we were starting to put together the ideas of a quiet place but we were chasing um you know assignments and and potential jobs that you know, were paychecks potentially, but they didn't really fuel the passion for us to get up every day and be like, oh, I'm enjoying the writing process. And so in the background of chasing these assignments, we started um, getting back to like some of our, our early notes that we had written down in terms of what Quiet Place could be. And all of a sudden we're like, why don't we just go off and write this? And so we we took a few months to actually write it thinking, oh, we know uh, our best friend has a farm in like a neighboring Iowa town. Like we can shoot everything there. Um, it doesn't have to be visual effects intensive because a lot of the, the magic is the imagination of what the sound design is going to create. So let's lean into that heavily as, as a tool in our arsenal. And so we, we crafted the, the script really thinking if everybody in Hollywood passes on this, we can shoot this for maybe like $50,000 and find the money, raise it independently. I mean, we were writing the big budget version of it, but we were like, worst case scenario, mm. by hell or high water, we will make this movie. Like, nobody's going to stop us from getting A Quiet Place made. That was like the, that was like what we were telling ourselves. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, we're 
pitching the movie over lunch to studio executives or producer friends that we um, know or agents. Like everyone thought, <laughs> everyone looked at us like it was the worst idea for a movie ever. <laughs> and, and and we started getting like really self conscious because we're like, we love this idea. We think it could be really special and really awesome, um, but uh, nobody else seems to be getting it. So we we just really dove into the script and trusted our gut and wrote it in between assignments and other, um, work related, um, scripts that we, that we had obligations we had. And we finally presented it to our manager and agent. And thankfully immediately they were like, Oh, we get it. We totally see this. This is really cool. And we, we, they kind of put together a list of producers they wanted to take it to. And, at the top of their list, for reasons we couldn't understand at the time, was Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes. And we were like, that's kind of a weird fit, guys. Like, this is supposed to be the quietest movie in the history of cinema, right. and we're going to take it to the, literally the loudest filmmaker in the cinema in cinema's history. Um, but they were like, we think like they've got a really, um, a really amazing deal with Paramount. Um, we think they'll really respond to it, and they've been looking to kind of branch out of the kind of more conventional horror stuff that they had been doing uh, for the last few years. So that script went into Platinum Dunes. They flipped for it. They brought us in, and we just kind of, you know, we just kind of felt each other out. Like, what like what do you guys see in it? And, and, and right away, like we could tell, they loved the idea of this movie being a big theatrical movie that would um, – that would um, kind of play on audiences' expectations of what a movie is and, and how it sounds and how it feels. Um, and then they also responded to the family element of the film, which was so important to us because we always wanted A Quiet Place to have a heartbeat and, and be emotional, and, and they really gravitated t- towards that. So we partnered up, and yeah. they brought it into Paramount, and Paramount bought it immediately. It was yeah, very this, fast. Again, and, this was before John and Emily even came on board. Like They were ready to make the movie just because it was a genre piece that was differentiating itself. And then um, it was, we dove into like some rewrites for Paramount. But again, the rewrites weren't uh, what we considered... Uh, deconstructive rewrites where it wasn't destroying the fabric of what it was. It was as if when we sold that script, we also had this unsigned pact that everybody knew this was a film that is needs special care for it. And so the rewrites were just really enhancing the the DNA of the film. And um, then we got a call one day that John, um, John Krasinski had gotten a hold of the script through um, our producers at Michael Bay's company because they were working together on the Jack Ryan TV show for Amazon and John read it, flipped for it, and as, as the story was told to us, that he handed over the kitchen table to Emily Blunt. And at that point, we didn't know they were married. So we just thought they were hanging out one afternoon. And Emily had read it and flipped for it as well. And they both wanted to sign on to the film. And immediately, Paramount you know, heard that package, which, which sounded phenomenal. I mean, we were talking about, like before we sold it, we were talking about who could we cast as, as like the main actress. And we said Emily Blunt between the two of ourselves. We didn't dare say that to any producers because they'd look at us like we were crazy. So she was already in your head. She was already in our head. That's she crazy. was yeah. our idea of like the best possible version and in just like Scott said we would never be presumptuous enough to think that yeah. we could actually get her to be in the movie but luckily John was able to to bring her on yeah. and and it just everything moved so fast and and behind the story of like the script going in and getting sold right away and getting like greenlit really quickly there's 10 other projects we had that fell apart or were in development hell for you know two three years um longer um because hollywood is definitely a tough business uh, especially as a screenwriter um 
and many projects um, fall apart, and we were just really lucky on this one that all the elements came together at the right time with the right studio and the mm. right partners. It was we felt lucky. Wow, wow, uh, and okay, so so let's get up to what you're doing right mm-hmm. now, okay? Yeah. Um, which is haunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you have. I believe that you love like old school horror, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and your influences really show mm. with this movie, right? It's yeah. like, why don't you tell everybody what Haunt is about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Haunt is very much um, scratching the other itch of horror that we love. Meaning, um, you know, for for every film that's like Quiet Place, where uh, you know people love to put uh, in quotes like it's an elevated horror film. Uh, <laughs> we love also leaning into the other direction where horror can just be fun. It can be a Friday night, Saturday night movie where it's a roller coaster ride. And so the story of Haunt it it, it follows our protagonist um, Harper, who is dealing with a lot of trauma in her life, um, both in the present and also in her her past background and it all comes to a head on Halloween night and she decides to just just for the evening shrug all of that off go out with her friends to haunted house attraction and they go to what um, they call an extreme haunted house where the lines of reality are kind of blurred and the deeper they go in the more that they realize that everything that's happening there is real and it's deadly so again it's it's really for us it's a roller coaster ride and it was something that from a script writing process we were actually writing simultaneously with A Quiet Place. Like, both these scripts were written in parallel, where, like, one day Brian was writing 10 pages of Quiet Place, I was writing 10 pages of Haunt. They both happened to get greenlit, though, at the same time, and it kind of happened simultaneously that the movies were were made. Totally, like you said. Uh-huh. I mean, everybody looks at Quiet Place as elevated, mm-hmm. and now you've got like this sort of homage to the kind of movies that we watched in high school and yeah. things right. like that. Yeah. So, so aren't you doing this huge tonal swing? Yeah. Every mm-hmm. time you're going from one project to the other. That's yeah. what made it so fun. Yeah. That's what it was like. So wonderful to to kind of get a break from each project. You know, anytime we. Not that you get bored with your own work, but like you kind of, you know, things can get stale or you can, you know, it's just nice to be able to switch gears and go into a different mm-hmm. project and, and live in that for a second. I so mean, we love that. We love doing two, three projects at the same time for that reason. To a larger degree, it's also indicative of like, like our taste as filmmakers spans the gamut. Like we, like some of the movies that I go back to all the time is um, this French filmmaker, Jacques Tati, who made, you know, these incredible uh, films in like the 50s, the 60s and the 70s that didn't require much sound. It was like more gag movies and, um, you know, then extends to Michael Bay's movies as well. And we love being able to oscillate tone on different projects just because it blends every tool and every inspiration of cinema that we've had in our childhood and bring it to what we, and what we write. And our taste too, as film goers is everything. Like mm-hmm. we'll watch an Adam Sandler comedy with as much enthusiasm as like the new Jeremy Saulnier indie film. Like we mm-hmm. love it all. And so it's fun to be able to kind of play in every sandbox we can. Now without giving anything away, there mm-hmm. are certain characters in this that I was like, Oh look, there's a scary clown and there's a guy yeah. with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. So was that on purpose? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about Haunt as our version of like universal horror monsters where oh, you wanted yeah. to have the um, kind of the familiar iconic version of what that monster is, whether it's the clown or it's the witch. 
Um, but it very much was looking at, uh, you know, vintage Halloween masks from the 1940s or 1950s. And while they created them to look very innocent, for us, they're kind of terrifying in retrospect. And we wanted to create and lean into some of that iconography. And the additional twist, without giving much away in Haunt, is um, the idea of what actually is behind the mask, what's behind that. And that's not just um, not just like a gimmick, but for us, it's also the thematic entry point into writing the story. The same way that that A Quiet Place, um, we considered a gimmick movie, meaning like you've got the idea of like if you make a sound, you will die. Uh, we didn't start writing that movie till we knew what the theme was, meaning it's about broken family communication and the fact that even if there weren't aliens that descended upon the earth, this family would still be unable to communicate because of this, uh, this, this tragedy that they've been suffering with the, with a lost family member. So that extends to haunt in that Harper is, is living with a mask. She's, Mm -hmm. she's got this facade where she's actually this really broken individual, but when she goes out in the public with her friends, she's trying to hide that from every, Everybody. And we see that in everyday life. Everybody's wearing a certain version of a mask. Like they're, they're trying to portray themselves as how they want to be, but really inside, like they're still trying to aspire to be that person. So Haunt was our opportunity to talk about that thematically, but also talk about it literally in terms of the, the villains that are wearing the mask and, and kind of hiding something darker within their soul. So, so, so you, you mentioned you'd like to start with a theme. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about your writing process sure. and, and how you guys go from beginning to end so do you start with wouldn't it be cool if and the theme or do you start with a theme and Mm -hmm. then try and build from there or yeah uh, how do you do it tell me everything as as like let's use a quiet place as a case example so we came up with an idea that we basically wanted to marry silent film our love of silent film purely visual storytelling with modern day uh genre so we were like oh if you could take a silent film aesthetic and marry that with Jaws or Alien, that would be really cool. So that's an idea. And an idea gets put in a journal and there's a thousand other ideas and who knows if we'll ever come back to it. And the sticky ideas, the ideas that we really fall in love with, we just kind of keep returning to over and over and over again. And eventually there's this like snowball effect. It kind mm-hmm. of builds mass. We keep talking about it and there seems to be something compelling about it. And so with A Quiet Place, I think we eventually were like, okay, well, what if it's, what if it's about a family that lives on a farm and there's monsters outside and if they make a sound the monsters come get them we're like okay that's kind of cool but i don't know whatever put it back in the drawer and then like a few months would go by and we'd be like all right family on a farm they have to be quiet what if the mom's pregnant and she's gonna have a baby and that's the worst thing that could happen because you can't keep a baby quiet and we're like yeah that's kind of interesting but goes back in the drawer Finally, when we realized like, oh, but what if it's like, what if they lost a child? And so this family's broken. They can't talk to each other properly. If there were no aliens, they still wouldn't be talking. Even if they didn't live in this world, we're like, okay, now it has, now it has something. There's something there. And when we get to that point, that's when we start writing the script. Once we feel like we have something to say, we have a story, we have a cool idea. It's got a really cool hook. Then we get to pages and, um, we outline a little bit. We get we go really deep on the first act in an outline. We love to know like here's the setup, here's the characters, here's the world, here's the inciting incident. It's going to kick this whole thing off. And then second act, we have a few ideas, some set pieces and some turns we want to make maybe. 
And then the third act, usually we know where it's going to end for A Quiet Place without getting into spoilers. We always knew that it was going to build up to this uh, sacrifice that the father has to make. Um, and, and we always knew it was going to build to him saying, I love you. But how that was going to happen and how that would unfold, that was an evolving thing. So, and we like to find it on the page mm. as we go. I, I, I love that process. You know, I, 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 we, we've gone back and forth about outlining on this show. Some people mm. are just you know, rigid with it and yeah. they love it and really helps their process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sometimes nice to hear, okay, and we find it as we go. Like you said, if you know, if you know all these particular things in Act 1, and that means you always have something to mine mm-hmm. in Act 2 and 3. So if you know where you're going, mm-hmm. well, you knew what she was like, you knew what he had to do, you knew all those things totally. that you can yeah. thread all the way through. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, we, we kind of love um, surprising ourselves on the page, too. Like, I can think of a specific moment in Haunt um, where nine times out of ten there's a confrontation between one of your main characters and the villains and nine times out of ten in a horror film you know how that's going to go down it's going to be a violent confrontation um and we we had originally planned that that is what would happen but we got to that point in the script and we're like no this feels like it's falling into convention let's upend it so it keeps the audience guessing of what might happen next and we took a completely radical different departure for what that scene became and it therefore had a ripple effect for the back half of the film. Even though we knew what the character arcs would be and where they would end up as as characters, the plot of the film started shifting into something that excited us more, that we were able to kind of chase down and, and, and explore where it was going because we weren't so regimented in the outline. And I think what you just said is like the most important part, which is it excited us. Because if we're not excited and we're not having fun, then the work isn't any good anyways. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes outlining... Um, and we've done we've written projects that we've outlined very heavily beginning to end and and that can work but the problem the danger of outlining is that the material becomes stale it's not exciting it's not for us it's not super fun to like write the outline I think writing the pages is more exciting so we're just trying to chase whatever is the most inspiring and fun process because that's where our best work comes out of us okay so now are you you mentioned like you'll write 10 pages Mm -hmm. of this you'll write 10 pages of that so are so you're both responsible for writing the first draft. It's not mm-hmm. like one person writes the first draft and somebody else does the revise does right. the revisions. Uh, if you do that, how do you share not only tone <laughs> but sort of a like mind a- about what's coming through right. with your characters and their voices? I mean, Great question. P- part of it, I think, is just our shared experience growing up. Like we've been doing this um, for you know over twenty years together at this point. So there's a bit of an innate knowledge of each other's taste that I think we've gr- growing up and now doing this as professionals, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of just in the water. Like we don't have to think twice about tonally, is this the right way to go? Because we know each other's sensibilities. Um, but when we're, when we're passing pages back and forth, occasionally like, like what we're saying by not outlining, we take departures occasionally that that's exciting. Like if Brian writes something that, I think I know what to expect and then I read it and he's made like a change on page 39 that starts steering the story somewhere else. That can be really exciting because all of a sudden that'll flood my head of brand new ideas that I wouldn't have otherwise thought. And then I can write the next 10 pages and then unfurl like a whole different aspect of the narrative that hopefully will just feel like it's, it's a living, breathing document. So. Do you guys go like, okay, 10 and 10 and 10? Or do you go like, I'm just going to mm. write until I get stuck here? Mm, it so, just depends. Yeah. It's different every time. And like, it's just like, oh, we know what the scene is. I'll, I'll knock that out or yeah it, it changes on on deadlines too like now yeah. like a quiet place we wrote um you know on spec so we we could write that on our own timeline but now 
there's certain deadlines that we write where it's like, oh no, you've got to write a 30 page chunk of something else. I need to write the first act of something else. So it varies. It varies. Yeah. And, and the best part about having um, a collaborator and a writing partner that you work so closely with and that you really build the script from the ground up with is that you're never precious with it. Like you don't, it's hard to describe, but because we've written things by ourselves independently when we were younger growing up, you don't feel, it doesn't quite feel like yours. Like you're more open to be objective about it and critical of it because it's one, just one tiny layer removed of your, just your personal work. And the best thing is being able to just remove ego entirely from the process and just always get into it and just kind of um, challenge each other to make the material better every step of the way. Where do you find yourself rewriting the most? Do you, mm. Is it with your set pieces? Is it with mm. your dialogue? Where, where do you go like, oh, I did that thing again? Hmm. I, I don't know that there's ever a major point where we stop and really rewrite because the whole process of writing for us is rewriting. Like, uh, like when Brian does send me 10 pages, I'll look at that and I'll do a, do a pass on those 10 pages and then write 10 more. And then I'll pass that back to Brian and Brian may go back to where I rewrote and make a few more changes. So by the time we have our first draft, it's actually more like the 10th draft. Oh. Now, do you have a way in for dialogue? I'm just, I mean, mm-hmm. we have a quiet place and, mm-hmm. and you didn't have to worry about that quite as much, <laughs> though, you know, you were using sign language. So there's right. still a lot of communication going on. A lot of, there's a language going mm-hmm. on that you have to write on the page. Right. Um, so I guess I'm going to take it back, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of dialogue in there. Um, yeah. So do you have uh, a shortcut with dialogue? Do you like words, or do you mm-hmm. are you somebody who likes to kind of keep cutting it and cutting it until you mm-hmm. find the perfect line? Um, yeah, I think, like, we really try to test ourselves of, like, what's the right dialogue? Like, we don't... Sometimes, like, we can slap something down just to have something down to have a conversation about it. But um, finding, like, the voice of the character is always daunting when you're in the first five to ten pages. Um, but as soon as you latch onto something, like, it really is true that the character just starts speaking through yeah. their own, like, personality. And, and to that end, I almost think dialogue is the easiest part to write, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the most fun and the writing that flows the quickest. We've written a lot of scripts, like A Quiet Place and um, a couple new things we're working on where when there isn't a lot of dialogue and you're just writing all that thick prose description like that to me is a challenge dialogue flows like as soon as Mm -hmm. the characters become real in your mind and they start talking to each other it um it it comes out of them it it really feels like they're writing the script it's so fun i love getting in that groove Mm -hmm. it's really cool so so with horror especially set piece set piece you know, mm-hmm. we, we everybody's talking about that, and yeah. just a reminder to people who are listening: it's not your setting; it's how are you using your setting in an mm-hmm. interesting, active, trailer-worthy kind of way. Totally. If it's a horror movie, what is the scariest thing that can happen in this kind of a place at this time, given the story? Right. So, um, that must be difficult because people are so in love with the genre, and mm-hmm. you must feel like. Nope, got to do a new choice, new choice, mm-hmm. fresh take. Yeah. New, you know, how do you, how do you freshen old tropes? Well, with, you know, writing A Quiet Place was really fun because um, we grew up in Iowa, and so that was writing for our own backyard to a certain degree. Writing, taking a farmstead and thinking about, in this situation, in this concept, what would be the most terrifying thing that could happen? So immediately, like, one of the set pieces that we thought of was a, a corn silo, a grain silo, where if you fall into that, it's deadly. Now, if you fall into that and you make a noise, it's even more deadly. And so it's just really looking at the resources that that fall in the setting exactly as you're saying. Haunt was no different. Like, Mm -hmm. we're thinking about the haunted houses that we went to when we were kids. And 
um, what were the various rooms and, and things that, that gave us pause. And also in the case of that movie, like writing the haunted house of our dreams, like what do we think is scary? Because sometimes you go to a haunted house or Halloween horror nights and it's like, eh, this is somebody's idea of what's scary. It's, you know, for like, oftentimes it's an assault to the senses and really crazy. And, and for us, what's scary is the quiet and long kind of corridors and you don't know why you're there and just diving into our imagination and finding set pieces set pieces it's like that another thing that we really enjoy coming up with mm-hmm. and you always i think do have to start with like you said where are you right mm-hmm. you're in iowa mm-hmm. right? yeah. you're in a haunted house a yeah. low rent ha- mm-hmm. haunted house yeah. by the way i will never let my children go to a haunted house again <laughs> after seeing your movie they are they are teenagers and those are exactly the kinds of haunted houses they could go to and yeah. why i say yes just because it's halloween i have no idea like right. yeah you know what yeah. you should do you should just knock on strangers doors and try and get some food from them and then when they say hey we got a a hut in the back <laughs> do pay the five dollars and just go in there you know like, like like i'm now watching this going what have i been thinking right right right. <laughs> oh my god That's so funny. so um you've taken like a million meetings around town and all that stuff i'm sure mm-hmm. um you know to pitch your adaptation of the boogeyman mm-hmm. a stephen king uh short story and say we have this take on it i'm just curious like mm-hmm. Without giving th- too many things away, um, how do you how do you approach that? Because I, 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 right. I I'm just yeah. you know yeah. Well, well, for Boogeyman again, without getting into, like story specifics, um, that was on the heels of of a quiet place. So it was very easy for us to point to this is the type of horror that we really love, where it's it's high concept, but it's also very steeped in character. And so with Boogeyman, it's no different, where you've got this um, this iconic name of like the Boogeyman, and we all know what that is, and that's super exciting to build set pieces around that, but it can't just be that. And mm-hmm. so what we were telling Fox when, when we had sold it to them is that it's gotta be an equal part character drama. And we were pointing to movies that, that um, had come out around that time, like Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, where it deals with like Best. a middle schooler that's, that's dealing with a lot of baggage in their own life. And we're like, what if we like, were able to bring in a piece of like Eighth Grade into a story of Boogeyman and, and just create something that feels relatable? So that's the entry point for the audience to see themselves on screen. And then of course you enhance it because of the genre elements, but it's still from, from start to finish that character arc should feel very grounded and, and true to life so. how cool like so you gave them a hybrid mm-hmm. right yeah. and, and they're going i never imagined those two elements together yeah. okay and then you gave them a character arc mm-hmm. so that they know it's about more than just thrills and chills right yeah, yeah. and yeah. then we have what really you know we have the actual ip right mm-hmm. yeah. you've got yeah. this wonderful story with this great surprise at yeah. the end yeah sweet exactly. yes yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Did you hear that? Go out and do that. Um, <laughs> so 30 scripts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you going to dig those all up <laughs> and mean, make them? What are you going to do with those? Follow us on Twitter because we often uh, we often drop really bad scenes from our old scripts just for fun. It's just yeah. kind of funny to look back at a scene that's poorly written. And, and it's humbling for us, and it's also um, a reminder of, you know, you're, you're constantly growing as a writer and trying to challenge yourself and get better. So Yeah, I think fun. we always try to look forward. Um, I mean, there there's a couple more recent scripts that we had written, I would say, in the last five years that up until recently they hadn't been produced, but now 
Um, we, we've been able to partner with some other writers to come on board and like really hone those projects in and we're producing it now. So we're starting that whole little angle of the career. Um, but a lot of those scripts, we're just going to keep, keep in the, uh, you know, dark recesses of our computers because that's what they were. They were learning processes. It wasn't that we want to go back and make every single one of them. The truth is we've learned invaluable lessons from just going through the process of writing it. Now at the time when we were writing those individual scripts, of course we were writing those with the ambitions, like let's make this. Every single script we ever wrote was like, oh, this is the one, like mm -hmm. this is the one that's going to like, it's going to be a great movie. Movie, it's going to get made and what you realize is um, sometimes you're just not there yet and like Scott said always mm-hmm. looking ahead and always trying to forge a new path and learn from the mistakes of the previous projects and, and just yeah. get better every time so you, you you're co-writers are you also co-directors mm-hmm. yeah yeah so all right so I think people have gotten some good tips about co-writing from mm-hmm. listening any tips that you can give future directors out there about directing co-directing mm-hmm. I mean it's hard enough to get your vision to other people as one director how do how do you guys split that brain i think it's embracing um the entire art of filmmaking as a collaborative medium i mean we're lucky because we've been friends as long as we've been filmmakers so there's a mutual respect there there's a mutual understanding which makes it a lot easier than i think if people just dive into finding a co-director right off the bat unorganically inorganically um but i i guess i would add to that putting your antennas up for good ideas is always important. Like, and that's what we try to do. We try to be free of ego. Like a good idea is a good idea. It's not just a good idea because I came up with it, or it's not a good idea just because Brian came up with it. It's whatever is special for the story. And that extends when, when making a movie like that extends to ideas that come from our special effects department or from our production designer and just making sure that, um, we're, we're bulletproofing the entire concept by getting all these incredible ideas that are going to come together. So, now, do you have spouses or significant others? Mm-hmm. Are they jealous of you guys? I'm no, just curious. They, um, <laughs> it's they, like we have three marriages. Like Brian's married, <laughs> I'm married. We feel married professionally. So, but um, we're we're fortunate enough that. Like my wife, I've I've known almost as long as I've known Brian. I've known my wife since I was fourteen, and she was um, the the actress in our student film. She would always Whoa. she produced our, our yeah. all of our early movies and really? was our biggest champion. Yeah, uh, throughout and, our career. And likewise, like um, Brian met met his wife, you know, years later after I met met mine. But um, but she's a huge advocate for us. She's incredibly smart. She's in the film business, so she's incredibly savvy. And having both of them, um, you know, supporting us throughout this crazy journey and also like giving us um, the perception of what what's a good idea, what's a bad idea. Like to use an example, Quiet Place um, was never exposed to anybody before it was exposed to both of them. And they read the first like version of Quiet Place when we were very self-conscious about it. And they were the ones that were like, guys, what are you doing with all these other assignments? Like drop everything and concentrate on this. Ooh, nice. So we, we always go back to them anytime we have you know a first draft of the script and they're, they're our truth serum. They're the ones that tell us if it's working or not. Very cool. How yeah. nice to have like the best script consultant you know yes. just living with you. That's, <laughs> That's an unfair awesome. advantage. For wow. You. Wow. Um, so also sovereign mm-hmm. um, yeah. with focus features. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit of of 
what that is? Or? Yeah, there, there's there's a little bit that we can say. I mean, it's it's um, very much a, a sci-fi film that's steeped in character, which is always our, our favorite blend. And it's it's a script originally written by this incredible duo, um, Weidman and Talk. And they're geniuses, and yeah. honestly, like it's all them. It's all them. We just came on to help with it a little bit and and do some work on it. But like those guys are brilliant. Yeah. And um, the script is so cool. And Mahershal Ali is as we all know, one of the great actors of our time and, um, a great collaborator and, and, um, and a terrific human being. And, and it's gonna, the movie's going to show a different side of him than, um, we've ever seen before, which mm-hmm. is exciting, but it's kind of a big sci-fi thing. Yeah. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so again, a little advice for writers, mm-hmm. how do you honor the original material mm-hmm. that you've been given to, to rewrite and well, yet put your own stamp well, on I it? I would say like that was kind of what we came in to do was mm-hmm. honor the original and, mm-hmm. and we called up the original writers and, and met with them because they they did such a brilliant job and we just wanted to honor the work that they did and, and add uh, you know our own little spin to it but I think that for writers listening to this like if you work on somebody else's project like you have to respect um, the creators and the, the people who came up with it because they that's where most of the hard work is and, and it's funny like uh, talking about this um, there's you know in in this job like there's a lot of scripts that get submitted to you for potential rewrites and such and there are assignments to direct and we've we've looked at some of the drafts that have come in at studios and we always look at the draft date and we figure out how long has the script been in development and if we read something and we're like i don't understand how this is at a studio like it just doesn't feel like it's telling a very clear story we request the original sale draft and I would say 10 times out of 10, there's so much clarity in that original sale draft that then we're like, oh, we understand why this works. We understand who these characters are. And we always advocate to go back to that original draft that the writers had because there's always a distinct voice there. And this was no different. Uh, Which is so funny and, and depressing oftentimes. Like you yeah. realize like these studios spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars improving in quotes and making quotes, improving a script. Right. And really what you find is, oh, they actually kind of ran it into the ground. That kind of sucks, mm-hmm. right? Because here yeah. you are, you know, improving a, an overdeveloped script. Mm-hmm. At, and if they had just gone back to the original right. thing, yeah. maybe, maybe you'd be out of a job, right. but we won't yeah. go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, well. you know, you guys are you guys are wonderful. You know, there are no masks on you. You, really, you know, I don't know how you're staying so grounded, but yeah. it is really, really such a pleasure well, talking nice to you. Say. Where can people, well, let's, let's start with you, Brian. Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? Well, since you mentioned that you post the occasional bad <laughs> scene. Exactly. Well, true to form, we share a Twitter and a Facebook and a, oh. uh, and a Instagram. <laughs> so it's uh, Beck and Woods um, for all of those, yep. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Beck yep. and Woods. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> My gosh. Um, okay. So I would love for you to come back sometime. Absolutely. You know, I'm fun. sure you've got so yeah. many other movies in you that <laughs> that you know. Really, I'll be I'll be knocking on your door. You're Sounds wonderful. Great. This is great oh, advice. Thank you so much. Are there is there any um, uh, since you're so influenced by movies yourself? Mm-hmm. Just uh, can you leave the writers with if they're to watch like one to three great horror movies, Mm, mm -hmm. what would it be? 
Um, well, Alien is at the top of the list, and that's for a couple of reasons. Like one, the actual script draft by uh, Walter Hill and David Geiler is phenomenal to read on the page because it it reads unlike many other scripts. It just really flows in a way that you feel it's sparse and it feels dangerous. Short, and choppy short. sentences, yeah. almost yeah. written in haiku. There it is on oh, see well, that red fantastic. poster right uh, there. Yeah, there. There we go. go. <laughs> it looks beautiful on the wall. And, and what I what I adore about that movie is that it does take its time with character and mm-hmm. also. So you don't even like know that Ripley is going to be the lead character until halfway through that film. Mm-hmm. And so it makes everybody feel like they have equal weight and anybody is, is a valid contributor to this story at that point. So, um, and I would suggest like we're, we're really big M night Shyamalan fans. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant writer, the sixth sense and, and unbreakable, which isn't technically a horror movie, but it's got thriller elements and suspense. I mean, that's a, that's a masterclass in writing uh, real grounded relationships that are deeply personal. Like he's spilling his gut on the page and we always feel as writers, probably the best thing that you can do is, is write something that's so personal that you're almost embarrassed to hand it to anyone because you're revealing a real part of yourself. It's, it, you should be um, afraid to do it almost. And that's what I see in his work, and and I would encourage writers to check check those movies out and mm-hmm. read those scripts. They're 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 beautiful. You may have mm-hmm. just just helped me make a decision because I in my first draft class, which yeah. actually mm-hmm. starts tomorrow, um, when I get to an example of dialogue, believe it or not, yeah. I mm-hmm. use the, the Sixth Sense, yeah, oh, and great. I show clips yeah. from it because yeah. he's so big on uh, there's there's he has so many rules mm-hmm. because of what we find out at the end that he has to really right. expertly get information out without being on the nose. Totally. And yeah. uh, and it's beautifully done. There's a lot of sort of game playing going yeah. on in, in that particular script. There's yeah. so many scenes that are saying two different things at the same time. Yes. It's really remarkable. Well, you know what? I've decided I'm going to keep showing it then. Dude, I don't care. Do. I don't care yeah. if it makes me look old. I'm going to keep showing it. Those are it. lucky students. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so those two scripts, mm-hmm. um, those two movies. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Alien yeah. and The Sixth Sense or... Or Unbreakable. Or, or Unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you, guys. Wonderful, wonderful information. Um, I also want to remind everybody, go to onthepage.tv. Yes, the first draft class has probably already started by the time that you're hearing this, but the TV class is around the corner. So that is Sunday, October 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It is a crash course in developing a series and then structuring a pilot. And then at the end of the day, Carol Kirshner comes in and talks to you about the business of selling and staffing. If you are not in LA, there is also an online version. I've broken that one day into four morning classes. Carol is part of that as well. So check that out again on the page.tv. Thanks again to Brian and to Scott. They, they rock. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week.